with heights to the depths of the sea. Verses 10 and 11 are the prophecy of the Lord. You might want to put a, a bracket around them because these, this is the result. This is the consequence. And it's interesting because David had taken Uriah's, or uh, David had Uriah's life taken by the sword. David had also taken Uriah's wife to himself. Now because of that, the sword would not depart from his house and David's wives would be defiled by his son Absalom. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today's scripture says, The sword shall never depart from your house. God promised that from that day forward, David would know violence and bloodshed among his own family members. David demanded fourfold restitution from the man in Nathan's parable. God exacted fourfold restitution for Uriah from four of David's sons. Many who live in either open or hidden sin seem to believe it had no effect or little effect on their relationship with God. But despising God's commandment means despising God himself, and we cannot have fellowship with God and despise him at the same time. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching already in progress. That was very customary in the ancient Middle East. The Bible doesn't mention that David took any of Saul's wives to himself. It doesn't doesn't mean that it didn't happen, but there's no record of it at all. The only wife's name of Saul that we know of is in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 50. Her name was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimez. But other than that, we don't know of any other wife. And then the Lord goes on and he says, Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. And again, David, when you look at this, he committed at least two sins here. We know when we look at the Ten Commandments, these are fairly obvious to us, but this week, as I was looking at this again, I found that there are probably six out of ten that David was guilty of. Because sin begets sin, doesn't it? Sin never likes to be alone. It always likes to have a companion, and it always likes to have more. And whenever you sin and try to cover up, you've got to do other things to keep that quiet. And sin begets sin begets sin. It's like Jesus said, it's like yeast and and bread. You put a little bit of it in there and it begins to grow and pretty soon you got this big plump of dough. And that's what sin is. That's what sin does. But we know the very obvious ones. In Exodus 20 verse 13, you shall not murder. We know he was guilty of that. You shall not commit adultery. Certainly he was guilty of that. But what about also these commandments? 8, 9, and 10 of Exodus, or the 8th, 9th, and 10th commandment. You shall not steal. He stole another man's wife. (laughs) 
And you shall not bear false witness. That's another one. David used deceit and lies to get Uriah to go down to his own house and be with his wife. He lied to him. He he wasn't telling him the truth. He was bearing false witness. So now you've got another sin. And then in verse 17 of Exodus 20, it says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his house, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox or his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Certainly David was coveting Bathsheba before he had even did anything about it. That was probably the original part of it. He coveted her. So now we got five sins, five commandments broken. But arguably, he also broke the very first commandment. And what is that? You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I don't think David was one of these individuals who was dominated by a particular sin. I think he was set up. I think David's own character at that moment, he, he made some really bad mistakes here. But I don't think David was one of those guys where he was always ogling women. I don't think David was one of these people that had a great problem here. But he had a problem in this instance because he allowed it to continue. And isn't it true that lust and adultery, fornication, although not in David's case, it didn't rule over him in the sense that it was something that it was always on his mind. I mean, when I think of these things, I think of Samson. That was one man who was given over to those kinds of things. We see that meted out in his life, but not so David. David just made a really horrible mistake. But the first commandment is, have no other gods before me but lust and fornication, adultery. They can become a god to a person. I've seen it with people, with men and women. It becomes a god to them. It becomes the thing that satisfies their soul. It becomes the thing that they will do above anything else. It's it's like the thing that they're, they're just bent on. In Romans chapter 13, so now we we see David breaking six of the ten. And that's usually what sin does. It's never happy just by itself. It needs some friends to come along and join the party, right? In Romans 13, Paul writing to them, he says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Sound familiar? You shall not covet. And if there be as any other commandment, are all summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. But was David loving his neighbor at this time? Yes, her, but not Uriah. He wasn't loving. Love wasn't the thing that was governing his heart. At that moment, it was something else. It was passion. It was desire. In verse 10, it says, Now therefore, God's speaking again. And here are the the results, the prophecy that God is going to speak against David. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me. Notice, you've despised me. Wait a minute. Wasn't, Wasn't the sin against Bathsheba and Uriah? But God sees it as an affront to him first. Isn't that interesting? When we sin, we sin against God and then other people. We first sin against him and then it's people. He said, 
Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Verses 10 and 11 are the prophecy of the Lord. You might want to put a, a bracket around them because these, this is the result. This is the consequence. And it's interesting because David had taken Uriah's, or uh, David had Uriah's life taken by the sword. David had also taken Uriah's wife to himself. Now because of that, the sword would not depart from his house and David's wives would be defiled by his son Absalom, his neighbor, or next of kin, in other words. There's a Latin phrase that says lex talionis. Have you heard of that? Lex talionis. It means an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We read this in Leviticus 24, verse 19. What does it tell us? If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused disfigurement Figurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. And what really is this all about? It's about the, the punishment being the same as the offense. And how different, again, I'm not promoting this necessarily, but think of how different our society would be if something was done to a person, that would happen to the other person when they finally got caught. I think it would slowly bring sin to a crawl, or at least keep it in check. But now people can do all kinds of things and the judge will slap their hand, they'll go to jail for a day or two, get bonded out, and now they're walking the streets again with no, no consequence other than an inconvenience of a couple nights in jail. When they've destroyed somebody else's life, right? But God is going to use this law from Leviticus. He's going to use this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, He's going to use that on his servant David. He said, David, you did this. You caused Uriah to fall by the sword and you took his wife. The sword's not going to depart from your home and your wives are going to be taken. You're forgiven and I love you, David. And David did crack like an egg. David did repent and his heart was truly broken and he did repent. He never did this again. This was a one-time huge mistake in his life that he never did again. And God says, David, I love you and I forgive you, but there are consequences for this sin. And those things I'm not going to withhold. There's something about that. You know, some people think that, well, if God forgives me, he takes away the, the punishment. Not so. Certainly the sin is taken care of, but there are consequences. Sometimes it can be a, a trust that's broken in a home a wife that no longer trusts you, a husband that no longer trusts you because of that sin. It's going to take time to heal that deep wound that was, that breach of trust that was taken. It takes time. And those consequences take time. And we're going to see that that was happening in David's life. And we'll see it in the subsequent chapters as we go along. But the sword shall never depart from your house. In First Chronicles chapter 3, Verses 1 through 9, it gives us an account of David's sons and even his daughter and some of his, his, his children. 
It says, Now these were the sons of David who were born to him in Hebron. Notice the firstborn was Amnon the, by Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, the second Daniel by Abigail, the Carmelitess, the third Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Telmei, king of Jeshur. And then in verse 9 it tells us, these were all the sons, it goes on and gives more sons, but for the sake of time, these were all the sons of David besides the sons of the concubines and Tamar, their sister. Tamar is going to come into play here shortly. The sword will never depart from your house, David. We'll see this prophecy come to fruition. We'll see specifically in Absalom's life, in Ammon's life. And unfortunately, their half-sister Tamar would be the one that this would be the result of. Because you remember, as we will see in subsequent chapters, Amnon forced his sister, his half-sister. And because David in his moral state was so um, weak, he did nothing about it. And so what happens? Absalom, his other son, a half-brother to Amnon and a half-brother to Tamar, he rises up and kills Ammon. Now he's got a son who's died. Now he's got a son who, another son who is a murderer. And we'll find that later on that Absalom himself will be killed by the sword, by Joab, David's general. We'll see that in chapter 18. So thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes, give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. And again, all of this will be played out. For you did it secretly, David, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. And the thing we have to remember is that there is always a consequence. And whatever is done in secret will be made manifest. It will be made known. For the unbeliever, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, what does it tell us? Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. That's for the unbeliever, because that's what's going to happen at the great white throne judgment. All the secrets, all the hidden things of darkness are going to come to light. But what about for the, um, well, we'll get to the believer in just a second. But notice what it says in Luke. Jesus speaking, it says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude, this is Luke chapter 12, verse 1, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one upon another, Jesus began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Notice what he says, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, this obviously in context is speaking of the unbeliever. But even for the believer, what, what is, this kind of flips it around, though. And I like this. This is a good place to end on this section, is in Matthew chapter 6. What are the good things done in secret by the believer? 
It says, but you, Jesus said, when you pray, when you go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Do you see the juxtaposition between the two of those? The unbeliever, whatever he does in secret, becomes known. For the believer, what he does in secret will also become known, be rewarded. And we have to decide which side of that we want to be in. I don't know about you, but it's a no-brainer for me. I want to be rewarded by God rather than have him to have to show me those things. And verse 12 speaks to me also of accountability, doesn't it? For you have done this thing in secret, but before all Israel I will do this. In Luke 12, verse 48, Jesus says, For to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. And David, as the king of Israel, again, God not allowing him to just skirt this under the rug. He was the king of Israel. Arguably the, one of the greatest kings Israel ever had. Probably the best. Even in spite of his mistakes. Verse 13, it says, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And I, can you imagine the... The, the crack in his voice and, the, and the, 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 the brokenheartedness in which David said this. I have sinned against the Lord. And, and finally, it just, it's like a sword that's been lanced. And finally, the release is there. After the year of trying to cover this thing up, I have sinned. And Nathan said to David, Lord, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Why is that? Because he deserved to die. For each one of these things, David deserved to die. For the, uh, for the adultery and for the murder, he deserved to die. So why didn't he die? Why wasn't the law meted out that day? Why didn't Nathan say, David, you're done. We're going to take you and the executioner is going to you know, take care of business here. Why didn't that happen? Why did Nathan say what he said? Because God told him to. And why did God tell Nathan, Nathan, go tell David that he's not going to die. Your sin is covered have you ever noticed that God is a God of grace? Even in the Old Testament, most people think that God in the Old Testament is just this angry God who just wants to fire brimstone on people. But no, he's giving grace to David. Why? Is it because David deserved it? No, not necessarily. But you know what God saw in David's heart that you and I can't see, that nobody at that time could see, is their brokenness. We're going to see that in Psalm 51. Hopefully we can read it together. Uh, we're rapidly running out of time, though. But... The brokenness of David's heart. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. And that is the difference. That's the difference between him and Saul. David broke and he truly was repentant. And that's what God wants. Even after a year of hiding from God, he finally comes to terms with it. And what a wonderful God we serve. In fact, turn with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. You'll notice in the prologue of the psalm, it actually says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So David wrote this. Perhaps he wrote this during that year 
of his roaring. Look at what it says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before you. Notice, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was born, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me, acknowledging that he's a sinner by nature, doesn't he? And behold, your desire, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. So purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. David's bones were like... like he probably felt like a dried up old man because all of his, just the life, the vitality was just being sucked out of his life over this sin and just the guilt and the shame of it. Hide your face from my sins, God, and blot out all my iniquities. I love this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. How could God forgive the man? Here it is a broken heart. Create in me a clean heart. Do you have a clean heart? Do you have a clean heart? Or are you claiming to be a Christian, and you are, but maybe you're still harboring a filthy heart? And it doesn't necessarily have to be anything like the sins we're talking about tonight. It could be anything. It could be unforgiveness. It could be harboring bitterness, hatred. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me in your generous spirit. David here crying out through the psalm. And what a blessing this psalm has been to so many men and women who have been in the same spot, who have gone through this very same thing and read this psalm and go, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I was thinking. And this is exactly how I was feeling. Then, notice, restore me to the joy of my salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Notice verse 13, I love this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sh- sinners shall be converted to you. Notice, when, when, you, when David goes through this, this horrible thing in his life, is he just licking his wounds and moving on? No, he, so, he says, no, first I'm restored, and then I'm going to teach. I'm going to tell others about it. See, that's what we need to do is when we go through something horrible, we learn something, share it with somebody. Because you're gonna, there's so many people going through different things. And when you've gone through it yourself, what a great balm of Gilead you are to that person. What a great encouragement you are to a person who is sore and in the middle of their sin and just lying there in anguish. And you can say, you know what, I've been there. David says, I've been there. For a year, I wallowed in my own tears on my bed. My soul was racked with guilt. I felt like my prayers were like iron hitting the ceiling. Nothing was happening. I, I just, I was dying. And how you can come, and then you can read a psalm like this. Deliver me, God, from bloodshed, O God, the, O God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Notice, the worship is even restored. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praises. There it is, his witness. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. 
You do not delight in burnt offering. David, when he, you notice that there's no mention of him doing a, an offering. I mean, maybe he did, but the Bible seems to be silent about it. I looked for it. I couldn't find it. God forgave him without the sacrifice. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Because of his heart, attitude. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, here it is, are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.